it's very complex, our language, and it's filled with spirituality and land and psychology. And it is directly related to where we come from. We are a composition of all these minerals because we are the Big Bang. We come from the stars. That's where we are from. That's Louise Bernice Half, Sky Dancer, Canada's first Indigenous Parliamentary Poet Laureate and a proud member of the Saddle Lake Cree Nation, Treaty 6 Territory in Alberta. She's our guest on the Akamema Podcast. Danse, tawau, and welcome to the Akamema Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Akamema is a Plains Cree word for you all persevere, or in other words, let's keep going and don't give up. On this podcast, we discuss the leading issues facing First Nations peoples with top experts, with elders, and community leaders. And today, we're happy to welcome a leader from the world of the arts. In February, Louise Bernie's half, Sky Dancer, was selected as Canada's Parliamentary Poet Laureate, the first Indigenous person ever picked for that role. This was one more moment of success in her long writing career. A former Poet Laureate of Saskatchewan, Half has won many awards for her poetry collections, works that blend Cree and English, and draw on her own experiences as a First Nations woman and residential school survivor and those of her family and community. Her latest collection of poetry, Oasis, Kinky and Decevo, was published on April 1st by Brick Books. Louise Half joins us now from Saskatoon. So a very big welcome to our Akamemak podcast, Louise. Loosely translated, of course, it means sky dancer, but it's much more loaded than that. So I'm delighted to be here speaking with you and to your audience. As well. Thank you. A big thank you. And it's good. So, Louise, thank you so much again for being with us and congratulations on your appointment. And for those listening to, to our discussion here and those who may not know, what is a parliamentary poet laureate? What does it involve and, and what do you hope to achieve from being the first parliamentary poet laureate? Um. Poet laureate actually means like I've reached the top of my writing career per se, like um, in being recognized by all my peers across the country. And so it's a real honor to be chosen, you know, coming from a Cree language and um, with, with really poor writing and English skills when I was growing up and coming to where I met. It's a great celebration and it's great honor for me. Um, my position is as a poet laureate, I, I get a stipend of 20 grand for the whole year. And I work on demand from people who want me in that position to uh, represent poetry in their organization. So I'm creating poetry for specific occasions for people who would like it. What do I intend to achieve? Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I am calling, and I've set this out many, many times, for 
the majority, if not all of the native writers across Canada who write poetry, who've been published, so I can put them on site on a Parliamentary Poet Laureate um, website. And so a greater audience will have access to our work. And I'm hoping that uh, in that process, we can educate the larger public about what incredible gifts and voices we have in our community from the grassroots mm -hmm. level onward. And um, I really want to highlight poetry in our communities and literacy. Uh, that's mm -hmm. really important to me because if I, one of the things that led me to my writing career is uh, the love of reading. And I didn't grow up with the love of reading. I went, when I went to residential school, I didn't know how to use a library. But what captivated me was not only the, um, the nuns reading from chapters from a novel, it, uh, because it caught my ears, it caught my imagination, because when I was growing up on a res with my parents, it was oral tradition. And so we mm -hmm. learned to listen to uh, those stories. And, and I love that. But I didn't really get into reading till I was many, many years into my marriage and, and with my children and taking them to the library and in, introducing them to books. And so I learned to read along with them. And my process started like my mother did, you know, true story, true confession magazines, all those corny love stories that you see, comics, Reader's Digest. And and then I moved forward. I got bored with those true stories. I thought, they're saying the same old thing all the time. It's time to explore. And so my exploration began with different topics. And um, and. And I started keeping a journal and I was taking classes when I was in Northern um, Saskatchewan in Meadow Lake. And um, I would commute from Meadow Lake to Saskatoon in the wintertime, put on my gum boots and my heavy parka and drive in an old beat up truck to take a class at night and take a class in the morning. And then I would drive home. I did that for a whole semester. And then the other semester, I took satellite classes because I was so keen on getting my education. And I was, I had started my uh, social work training by then, and I wanted to finish and get that degree. So I persevered that way. And of course, I was keeping a, a, a daily journal. And when I began to write, I didn't know how to write, to be honest. I did not know how to write. I was boring. And I would go back to my my reading, and I'd go, it's a nice day out. That's nice. We had a fight. You know, really nonspecific stuff. And I thought, that is so boring. It's not telling me anything. So I would go back and say, well, the day was beautiful. It, the, the clouds were gray like gunpowder. And um, my husband and I had a little fight over how to raise the children. So I became much more clearer in my demands from myself on how to be specific. And uh, that's how my writing career began. Of course, along the way, I met people like Ron Markham and other writers in my journey to enhance that writing career. I actually started when I was 16. But you know, when you're 16, your hormones and your whole life is all over the place. And I was fresh out of high, uh, residential school and suicidal. I didn't have a home to go to. My home uh, was destroyed on the res, like with fire. My, I didn't know where my parents were. Uh, my siblings, we were all 
destroyed. Essentially, we went our different ways just to survive. Mm-hmm. And um, I started writing poetry back then, but it was really poor me poetry, you know, watching my own funeral, all that stuff. And uh, I, I gave it up because I didn't know what I was doing, and I didn't even know I was writing poetry. I didn't even know there was a name to poetry. And um, But I tracked down my parents in Kootenai Plains in Alberta, in the Rockies, and uh, went back to live with them. I had dreams. The dreams began then of my writing career, and that was way in the early 70s. I didn't understand back then, and it took me a while to figure out. It took me a while to, when we moved to Saskatoon after my husband and I had gotten together in a traditional manner, my parents gave me to, gave me away to him in a night lodge. And that was back in 1974. And, um, uh, I honored those dreams and I was sitting in a bedroom office that I had created in Saskatoon and I was looking around me with my office, and I'm looking at all the books and all my papers like you see now, and going, I'm living those dreams. And what happened then is I went back to ceremony, went to the home reserve to honor those dreams that Mm. led me to my writing career, went back to the elders, but also in a process, way before then, I had gone into therapy with a psychiatrist, um, Um, when we are living in Ontario. And I had a wonderful psychiatrist who helped me with my dream analysis and who helped me bring my soul and my spirit together with the help when I came back home with the elders. And Mm. uh, so it was a combination of Western psychiatry with Native psychiatry that brought me together. But it was hard work. It was Mm. really hard work. If I hadn't done that, my relationship of 48 years would not have lasted. I would have messed up my kids. They would be inheritors of the damage that was done to me. I would pass on to them. So it was really important to me not only to salvage my relationship, but to ensure that my kids didn't suffer what I went through. And, um, and that's how my writing career began. Is, hmm. is a continuous writing, and I still do it today, a continuous hmm. journaling. So you found a way to, to deal with the intergenerational trauma for the residential schools using both uh, modern-day psychology but traditional elder spiritual guidance ceremonies to, to bottom them together, and that's a, that's a powerful teaching is to, to break that cycle so it's not passed on to your children and grandchildren. That's a good teaching for us all. So back up to that uh, what is a, a parliamentary poet laureate you can't. So, if we want a poem, you said you can. You can create poetry for people who want it. So, if uh, we say, "Oh, the Assembly of First Nations would like a poem," uh, we just have to phone up Louise Half, and you'd come in and create a poem for us. <laughs> That's right. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, of it's course, long. we have to compensate compensate you well because twenty thousand dollars stipend is not very much. So, you got to look after right. yourself and feed yourself and 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 uh, compensate you accordingly as well. So. Okay, but you know, so, um, the the only rule to this, and I've been told, is that I have to be nonpartisan. That's the you rule. can't pick on the conservatives, you can't pick on the NDP, no. and you can't prop up the liberals. You got to be fair. You got to yeah. you got to poke them all if you're going to poke anybody. 
Yeah. Well, that's good. well, that's kind of like the national chief. I've got to be nonpartisan too. I've got to work with the leader of the Liberals, leader of the Conservatives, leader of the Greens, leader of the NDP, and you can't be branded anything other than uh, yeah, what we're supposed to do. So we're similar in that respect. So that's <laughs> yeah. good. So well, well, thank you for explaining, like the parliamentary poet laureate. And but again, it's 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 a big honor to have been selected and to have been asked by your peers as well to 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 put you at that level. And congratulations for dealing with that intergenerational trauma from residential schools, you know. So yes. now I want to, when you were selected, Louise, you started talking about, uh, uh, you know, being the appointed, you were appointed uh, and you're the first First Nations uh, person in that role. You described being selected as the Poet Laureate as a process of reconciliation. What, what did you mean by that when you, when you, when you said those words? Reconciliation involves resistance, resilience, reclaiming, resurgence, and renewal. It is a step forward for all nations to help not only um, heal this damaged planet, but each other. And in order to do that, we have to dialogue. And it, and, and it doesn't matter how painful that dialogue is, it has to be done. And we have to move forward. We have to acknowledge each other's histories. Like European history, they come from a, um, a traumatic past as well. They mm -hmm. need to talk about that. They need to honor that their uh, genetics brought that information and imposed it on all other cultures. And they need to own that. But we, as people, also need to understand their psych psyche and their damage. And, and so maybe if we can talk fairly with each other about these um, incredible hurts, maybe we can move forward. Louise, you talked earlier on in Cree and you went to the residential schools and we all know uh, the devastating if impact that residential schools had on our languages because, of course, uh, they were outlawed and they were banned and children were punished for speaking. And we have over 60 different First Nations languages in Canada. And we have Bill C-91 now, which is a language, Indigenous Language Revitalization Act, to try to bring that forward and bring back fluency amongst our people um, because it's linked to, to sovereignty, nationhood, but really our ceremonies and who we are as First Nations people. What's the role of poetry and literature in language revitalization? Um, let me go back a little bit, okay? Ceremony, the old man used to teach us back home this is our psychiatry. This is our psychology. And so being uh, curious about words, I went to look it up. And it actually means wind and spirit and soul. So when we go to ceremony, we're honoring the directions that we are giving ourselves. And the other thing with ceremony is that um, in our language, and, I, and I've got a young elder right now. He's a little bit younger than me, but he's brilliant. And I just love him to bits because he's got the language that I don't have. And he educates me nonstop. And I can't comprehend all of it because it's so powerful. And um, a language like Awasis, for example, the word Awasis, most of us, our understanding of Awasis is a small child, okay? There's mm -hmm. two other understandings with that. And the most important one is awasis means we have been loaned a spirit. Our spirit is on loan. The third one is 
Awasis that I develop in this particular book is the adult child within. Okay, so those three things. I use language because it's so spiritual and it's so land-based and it, it is um, directly related to where we come from. And that is a long way from the stars. We are made of nitrogen, oxygen, and I forgot all of I've written a book poem about this where we are a composition of all these minerals because we are the Big Bang. We come from the stars. And that's what our elders teach. And so when we came here and our ancestors told these stories about diving deep, we when we go to heal ourselves, we're diving deep in that rolling head story. I don't know if you're familiar with it, uh, Perry. But we have a rolling head story, Gigi Pistagon, who is um, assaulted by her husband and her head is severed and her head goes into the lakes, into the waters. That is our dreaming part. That is where we are born from. And from that, we are born from the umbilical cord of the trees. We talk about genogram, the family tree. Well, think about the family tree, right? It's mm-hmm. That's where we are from. There's a, it's very complex, our language, and it's filled with spirituality and land and psychology, and it's, it's rich. So using that richness um, of our language and ceremony, linking it back to poetry and the literature, can we use poetry and literature as a vital tool to help us revitalize, revitalize and bring back our, our Cree language, our, our Blackfoot language, and Dene language? What are your thoughts? Uh, absolutely. Um, Floyd Fable was is from Poundmaker, a Cree man who's an artist, and he was he did a poem in totally in Cree where I was a judge for uh, the best poem presentation, and he blew me away. He does it totally in Cree, and I'm going, I'm so jealous. Like I wish I could rhyme up a whole poem in Cree, and absolutely we can learn from it. And one of the best ways to learn our and revitalize our language is also through song. Mm-hmm. Simple, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a man from Onion Lake who sings through song. My teacher sings and teaches language through song. So can you now read us something from your new collection, Louise, from your new book, Oasis? Okay. So I'm going to read a poem called Remember When. And this poem is about, um, we don't have pronouns of he and she in our community, right? And uh, we are a state of being, B-E-I-N-G. We are a state of being. But this one is, is sort of like I am made up of the male and the female psyche. And uh, sometimes people are born with both genitals. And these are people who are called hermaphrodites. Mm-hmm. So this poem is Remember When. Okay. Oasis dreamt she married herself with full moon breasts, a phallus, and gonads. When she woke, her body was a full-grown woman, her spirit entwined in a warrior's heart. She gave birth like any other bear, grunting, groaning, and pushing a blood river of earthen brawls. Oasis worked like a wolverine, hefty muscles bearing tattoos, her feet a ballet dancer's desire, fingers that trace a cello with the lightness of butterfly wings. When you see her today, she's the man on stage, her bulge 
straining against her ballet thighs. She's a woman wearing work boots, driving a transport loaded with fruit, going cross-country. Remember when the two-legged had he, she, he, she, she, he, and both or neither. In Nehio country, when people speak of a man or a woman, they know that spirit is neither and is all. Hmm. So when you look at that poem in Oasis, what was your inspiration for this character in your poem? I, a lot of my previous books are dark. They're heavy, and it, they're not easy reading. I, I, I wanted to move from that and find something of, full of laughter. In, in Native country, our, we have great laughter. I just love going home, and I love it when we get together with our peers. We just laugh and laugh. And um, so I thought, you know, I want to highlight that. We are not this stoic race that people talk about, the noble savage, you know. We're more than that. And so um, I um, started asking people, both Native and white people, what was the funniest thing that ever happened to you? Well, the Indians had no problem with that. The whites had to think about it. The stiff upper lip, you know, dominates that society. So... <laughs> So I, I just thought, okay, I want to keep people's um, stories, but I want them to be um, anonymous, right? Kind of like unknown, confidential. Like. Yeah, yeah. So I, I got permission on the whole to get these stories from them. And then I just created and fabricated using my imagination to fill in the blanks. So the story um, may contain more than one character and more than one um, storyline. And people will find themselves, in, in, in exchange, I have given a book to each contributor because it's their story, and mm -hmm. but it, it belongs to Awasis now, and she's the one that is releasing it to the public. So you got your inspiration from just by talking to many, many people. That's First right. First Nations people, non-First Nations people, and uh, some of these... Uh, uh, impacted you and your thinking and your brain and came out in your poetry. And so they're reflected in these, uh, some of these uh, teachings, if you will, through your poems. That's right. That's hmm. right. So now we've talked about creating the importance of language and uh, you've talked about even how you were, 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 were given from your parents in a night lodge in a ceremony. And, and now uh, it's April. We're into the mid month of April and pretty soon their leaves will be out. And as soon as leaves come out, we know it's, it's Sundance season, it's fasting season. So in terms of the ceremonies themselves, um, how did they impact on you and how important are they to you as an individual, as a person? They're extremely important. Many, many years ago, like I, I took you back to my dream place of writing. But at the same time, during that period of my life, my grandfathers and my grandmothers came to me in my dreams to teach me ceremony. So it was really important for me to go back home and to honor those ceremonies and to participate in the, not only the sweat lodge, but this, I've not been a sun dancer, but I've been there supporting my husband while he's sun dance. And, um, uh, I fast with him when he's sun dancing. And we started actually when I was five months pregnant with my first child at the Sun Child Old Cheese Reserve back in the 70s because we met 
uh, at the Mackinac camp, where my uncles and aunts and my grandparents lived on my mother's side of the family, they had separated from the small boys camp by way back in the seventies and early late sixties. And um, uh, so when we went to ceremony, I had never been to a night lodge before. And that's mm-hmm. where uh, the spirits uh, witnessed our marriage. And my parents gave me away officially to my, and I want to say my white husband, because that's what he is. And, uh, so, you know, so I've been with him for 38 years. And um, uh, we have gone into ceremony on my home reserve ever since uh, coming back to Saskatchewan. We always travel back and um it's been many, many years of ceremonies with my elders, with my community, and he's been well accepted. And I've taught him a lot of Cree. So my mm-hmm. white husband can speak pretty good Cree to the point that he, a lot of people think he can speak it entirely. And mm-hmm. and he gets embarrassed because he goes, the moin's still dead. But... You know, um, so our elders passed on the sweat lodge to us and many mm-hmm. other ceremonies, uh, which I don't want to disclose at the moment mm-hmm. on air. But uh, I've learned a lot. And it's so important to me as not only a Cree woman, but to pass it on to as many people as I can, because, you know, many of us are dying off. I'm 68 years old. I I can't afford to hoard this information i've got to give it away like it's been given to me mm-hmm. yeah that's a big teaching just what you just said there because even uh, a lot of our elders our knowledge keepers say the same thing learn these ways learn these protocols learn the process learn the songs learn the ceremonies learn the steps because we're not going to be here in this world forever with you so learn these ways so they can continue and uh, that's an important very important teaching to our listeners, to our young people. And all these things that you were taught and you were given through ceremony and through your dreams, um, do they are any do any of them come out in your poems? Yeah, a lot, a lot of poet, a lot of them come in my poems in my earlier work, and uh yeah, they do continuously. So so now we're moving into the uh the Sundance season, that's our big lodge, and uh to our listeners, First Nations people, we have songs, we have ceremonies, we have feasts, we have sweat lodge ceremonies, name-giving ceremonies, feasts for everything, mark the seasons, uh, uh, big lodges, night lodges. Uh, it's always kind of funny sometimes when people say, oh, we need to go see an elder. Well, what kind? Which Do you want a pipe carrier or, or do you want a sweat lodge person? Do you want a Sundance person? Do you want a prayer? Do you want someone that uses herbs and medicines? Like, which are so many. <laughs> <laughs> so we're learning as well um, as we go forward. So with all these things that you shared, and you're our poet laureate, First Nations person as a poet laureate, um, and all the things that are happening across these lands, and everything that is affecting First Nations people from the residential schools to the Indian Act, and now we're dealing with COVID-19 and the pandemic, and we've heard all the dreadful things that are happening to our people in the justice system, the policing system, and the healthcare system. What gives you hope as a person, Louise? What gives you hope? Wow, that's a, an interesting question. Um, I can't dwell in bitterness although i sometimes slip into it i can't help it it's just part of all of us right uh the anger towards um 
the damage that was done to me, to my family, and to my extended family. Um, I can't help it because I experienced the, the racism. Um, I don't look for it. Okay, I don't look for racism. If it happens, I know when it's happening, but I deliberately do not look for it. I'm really saddened by some of the things that happen to our people. Uh, it, it angers me, but I, I do have hope. Um, mm -hmm. I, I have seen a, in, uh, a movement. It's um, tiny little movements sometimes. But I think if I can survive 48 years of marriage to a white man, and survived his family where I had to deal with some of that stuff. We can survive anything. And, but we also in, in need to look at our own racism, our own lateral violence. That exists. There's no doubt about it. I've experienced it. I watch others practicing it. And it's not nice. And we have to learn uh, those beautiful skills that our elders talk about, those seven grandmothers, kindness, love, respect, humility, humbleness, all of that, all of those grandmothers. And they're difficult. It's difficult to somebody to, to respect somebody who's slapping you across the face, you know, um, it's with their lateral violence. And all, all I can say is, Waguhtun comes from the dawn. And it comes from a place of enlightenment. But that enlightenment sometimes is like a lightning that travels across the sky and strikes. We are crooked beings, not in terms of we're thieves and robbers and uh, pe people like we, we are just wounded beings working toward enlightenment. And we're full of energy. It depends on what kind of energy we bring into the relationship and with our teachings. I've met elders who are mean, okay? I've met elders who are charlatans. And mm -hmm. we have to be so careful on how we go about protecting ourselves in our communities and working with intelligence. And right here's the intelligence, the emotional intelligence of the heart, and then to intellect, all right? And so it's important to bring these two together in order to um, move beyond the racism and um, watch where we're stepping. And I'm, I kid you not, I'm, I'm racist. I've had to acknowledge that. I mean, I get angry with stuff and I just want to slap somebody in the face, but I'm not a violent person. <laughs> <laughs> so dealing with the racism and discrimination and having to, in your 40 plus years of marriage, you found ways to cope and there's a tiny movement and that gives you hope. And even your point about there's so much lateral violence and that I've always heard this so much that if people could start using social media to promote lateral kindness and not lateral violence, that would be a powerful message going forward. And to me, that's what you're saying. And uh, to me, that's a strong, hopeful message going forward. And I want to thank you for that. Louise Half, Sky Dancer. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners before we give you a great big thank you for coming on to the Akamemet podcast? Learn to trust yourself. The old man used to say to us, there were several teachings. One old lady would say to me when I was, uh, you know, not confident in what I was doing. Which She's old man just, are you referring to, Louise? Which okay, old man? The late Joe P. Cardinal from my home reserve. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. 
and he's long gone now, but he would say, Mom, donate the masa. Think for yourself. What do you think? Those were, well, those were two really strong messages that he would tell us. And an old lady, her name was the late Vera Martin. She was Ojibwe, Anishinaabe. And she would say, when I was faltering and I didn't trust, she'd say, oh, Louise, just do it. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else can do it for you. You've got to do it yourself. Very powerful teachings. Just do it. So, Louise, half Sky Dancer, the first First Nations person appointed to be the Poet Laureate. I want to thank you so much for coming on our Akamemuk podcast. Can I ask something? Thank you so much again, Louise. Okay, hi, hi. And I want to thank all the people for listening to the Akamemuk podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Give us a rating and tell your friends about us on social media. And as always, we want to give a big shout out to the Red Dog Singers of the Treaty 4 Territory in Southern Saskatchewan for providing our theme music. Until next time, I'm Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Woo!